Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. One of the reasons church planting is attractive to people is that it inherently involves something new, a new church and a new place with new people. This is a good thing. After all, part of the call of Christ involves taking the gospel to people who've never heard it. We need people willing to go where Christ is neither named nor known. But there are also many churches in various parts of the world that are dying. Uh, these are places where Christianity once flourished. In regions like the UK and Europe, Christianity has been on the decline for decades, which means that many churches are closing their doors, both literally and figuratively. In these circumstances, church planting is desperately needed. But perhaps just as significant a need is that of church revitalization or church replanting. Church revitalization involves bringing life to dying churches by dealing with the various causes of decline. Church revitalization can take numerous forms and the parallels to church planting are many. But what is church revitalization and why is it important? To help us consider these things, I'm excited to have Steve Robinson with us on the podcast. Steve is the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in Liverpool, England. He is also the director of Cornerstone Collective. Steve is married to Sean, and they have four children. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tony. It's great to be here, mate. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Yeah, I you wish too. the uh, the listeners could see this man. Uh, he could star in in a Braveheart movie, I am sure. He's got the voice. He's got the red beard. He, I mean, he's got it all. <laughs> I get a lot of that all the time. Some people think that I look more like a Viking than somebody from Braveheart. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I yeah, could see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So uh, Steve and I met this past year in Belgrade mm. uh, in April and really hit it off. And I've heard many people uh, speak highly of Steve, and it was uh, it was great to interact. And uh, we're going to hear about his church, which uh, a lot of exciting things happen. Happening there, and we uh, we found that we had a particular fondness for uh, BBC and and British television shows, which is no surprise, I guess, to a British uh, English guy, right? But uh, yeah, uh, Steve has been feeding me all kinds of shows, uh, direct messaging me, "Hey, you need to watch this one and that one." So I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, it was great to find somebody that appreciates the BBC shows. I think as a pastor, mate, you get to a certain point where you're comfortable with saying you actually enjoy watching TV, uh, as long as <laughs> yeah. I don't have to figure of somebody that watches TV all the time I'll be quite happy but uh, yeah I love the BBC shows um, and it's great being able to interact with you the difference is I share BBC shows with you and then your response is already watched it already watched it (laughs) (laughs) you're getting access before we do Uh yeah I probably should qualify my viewing I I can make it through maybe one that's what I did last night and then I'm asleep yeah I'm the Uh, same and yeah, but I really like the the English shows because of the character development, and then the 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 actors actually look like human beings, real people. They're they're not all made up and you know Hollywoodized, and uh, I just I, I just love that about the shows. Well, that's I think it's the problem with being British, bro, because we're not as attractive as you Americans. <laughs> no, so therefore, no, we, we no, look no. real. We look real. We have to- <laughs> I hope I, only... I hope I didn't insinuate that. No, we're just no, fake in America. <laughs> well, that's me saying that. I get that. <laughs> that's great, man. That's great. So let's let's talk uh, Liverpool for a moment. You yeah. you um you told me, and I had uh, a couple. 
couple of your guys in a, in a class at, at Crosslands. And uh, so we had a fun time talking about Liverpool. For those mm-hmm. outside of uh, England, can you just kind of parse out for us uh, the culture, the, yeah, the no heritage, problem. the tradition, the, uh, the passion that's in Liverpool? Because I found it very interesting. Yeah, not a problem. I would say, so Liverpool's in the northwest of England. We're a Port town, historically very busy place. We're right on the water. Liverpool is the most beautiful city in the UK. Okay, and that's that's that. That's, that's an unbiased opinion. A total unbiased opinion. In fact, um, if we could go alone as a, as an area, we would. We're a bit like Texas, I guess. You know, we're just trying <laughs> to to go alone. But Liverpool, uh, historically a poor town. I think the sad history of Liverpool is that a lot of it, especially the grand buildings, are built on the back of the slave trade. So a, a lot of a lot of people were, were, were trafficked through Liverpool and then from Liverpool over to America. Uh, John Newton lived in Liverpool when when he was doing that. So there's a lot of lot of history that is sad, but also coupled with that, there's a lot of culture that comes out of music. I think there's a, a little band that people have heard of that came out of my hometown, and then also. Um, that's the Beatles you're talking about, right? Absolutely, the Beatles, yeah, if anybody didn't realise. So, and then obviously football, so very proud of that, like the, the sport and the, the stuff to do with the music. I actually live in Beatles land, so Penny Lane is literally at the bottom of my road, the famous Penny Lane. So it's the most disappointing street that you will ever come across. We get people from all over the world coming to see it. But I think the interesting thing about Liverpool's culture is We've been a deprived place for many, many years. The economy just fell out in the in the in the seventies and eighties. Busiest port in the world to absolutely nothing, and there's lots of political reasons for that. But I think that that just sort of brought people together with a real sense of like we need to stick together. It's us against the world, which has its bad side, but and also creates like a parochialness within that. But I think one of the great things about Liverpool is that they're, they're very op- open to accept guests. So if you, if people come and are themselves, and the way we say it is that we are the friendliest city in in the world, depending on who you get to know. So I think that seems to be what it is. But Liverpool people, we love, we're proud of where we come from. And there's that real parochialness, I think, that, that, that actually can be helpful, but sadly also is, is difficult. It's difficult in different places. Yeah. Well, if you're indicative of, of Liverpool, I want to I want to come because uh, it's hard to meet a more joyful, encouraging uh, brother. And surprisingly, you know, to find out he's, he's English. That, that's not what we typically, you know, like you, you smile a lot for an Englishman. Bro, uh, that's why I said I actually think we are from England, but we have more more connection probably with our Irish brothers and sisters and our, uh-huh. our, our Scottish brothers and sisters. Uh-huh. Our, our accent is 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 like a combination of Welsh, Irish, Scottish. So just we just we just stand out, and you know, Liverpool should be the capital of England. I just think we'd improve so much as a country. I'm getting myself <laughs> into a lot of trouble by saying this, but <laughs> it's, everybody's a comedian in Liverpool. And that's the that's the thing. Yeah, yeah I want to visit, man. I want to visit so badly. Um, so did you, you grew up there? Did your wife grow up there? Yeah, we did. Both of us grew up. In fact, I actually grew up and uh, in the area that I live now. So within the community that I lead a church. So born and bred in the area. And my wife was a uh, grew up a couple of miles away from here as well. So we're both from Liverpool, uh, which is okay. great and lots of advantages when it comes to leading a church and church planting. But you have a lot of blind spots as well. 
because you're just totally embedded into the into the culture. So we both we both grew up in Liverpool. We are what we're called Scousers. So everybody from Liverpool is called a Scouser. So we are Scouser, born and bred. How do you spell that? Uh, that'll be S C O U S E R S. Scousers. It's something from back in the day when they, uh, the, the all the sailors would come and they they they'd be fed this like stew with like meat in and and potato and they called it scouse and that's we were known as the scousers ever since so that's where it is. <laughs> that's great, man. How, now, how did you come to, uh, come to faith? Yeah, um, my my parents. Um, were both first generation Christians in their family. Uh, they were both brought up in quite a deprived area of the city, Liverpool. And my dad lost his dad at 14, sad situation. My grandmother became an alcoholic and there was just him and the brother. And he ended up going along to a local, small local little chapel that was at the bottom of his street and was just loved by people at uh, 14. And my mum also um, ended up going there and they were both saved, I think in the same year, both 14 years of age. And then started dating, I think when they were about 16, 17. So my parents, first generation Christians, um, my mum had faithful people that loved Jesus and just sought to, to bring us up in the ways of the Lord. And I thank God for that every single day. I think as a kid, um, I sort of wished that I wasn't born in a Christian home because I wanted to play football and there was a lot of Sunday stuff, but I look back now and I'm just so thankful for God's faithfulness and his grace in allowing me to be born into a family that loved Jesus. And we were part of a great church. It was actually a church replant, funny enough, back in the day. Uh, and by God's grace, we were able to see a lot of growth and a lot of people get saved and people in and out of our homes all the time. And so at an early age, I heard the gospel, obviously. Um, I made a, a child profession of faith, I think when I was six or seven, and then just went through the classic in and out, doubt, reaffirmed faith at, in as a teenager. But I think where it really impacted me, I was um, in my early 20s, 21. I'd left school at 18. I became a police officer. I was a cop for a, a few years. Yeah. And, a um, copper. I, yeah. My wife and I were married, um, had been married, and I was sort of helping out with a, a youth camp. And I had a little small group of boys. They were all like 11, 12. And I was sort of their small group leader doing Bible study. And the guy who was speaking was talking about, just talking about the cross, but he was taking a, a different a theological word every day. So justification, uh, propitiation, and just working through. And it was in one of those meetings that the, just the reality of the cross hit me and I, I remember I remember just sitting with these young 11 year old boys just sobbing because of the effects of what Jesus had done and how much it impacted me and these poor kids I, I still remember their faces just like what is going on this big 21 year old big ginger guy is crying in front of us I've since bumped into some of those boys who are now in their 20s and stuff like that and they they remember that so I'm thankful to God that actually had a positive impact not a negative one so that that was a real turning point for me do I want to say I was saved at that point I don't know but I think what I do know is the the reality of God's grace hit me for the first time in a way that I'd never experienced before. Mm. So walk us through from kind of that point into uh, pastoral ministry and your church is a, a replant. Would that be fair to call it a replant? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was, like I said, I was a police officer till I was 25. And then I ended up leaving the, the police force to go and work for a Christian relief and development organization. So I spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe and Africa. And 
the 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 organization was very much engaged with older people who were volunteers they were volunteering a lot of their time so i had to lead teams regional teams of people who are of elderly age many of them loved jesus and just wanted to serve and help children and the like but i was also spending a lot of time in different parts of the world where i was meeting churches and people who were planting churches who were a similar age to me and i think the difference what i saw was and i, I can see how god had his hand on me and was leading me in that i was i was going to different countries you know and different pristina in like uh kosovo or uh, moscow and in russia and, and and different places meeting people of a similar age with a real heart to tell people about jesus and a real love for their cities now because i was a police officer in my city i hated liverpool i loved the fact that i was from liverpool but i hated it we used to shop in a diff- different cities we used to spend our time in different cities and i was like i need to get away because i'd seen the brokenness of the city and uh, that's all i saw all i saw and god was so gracious to me in, in in breaking my heart for Liverpool specifically and I think that combined with with just growing in theology I became an elder of the church we were previously at and just the responsibility of that just really growing in theology and and and, and understanding God's word and then having an impact for the city and then seeing some of the the gaps I think in our culture in our culture as a city in terms of leadership and church planting God just grew a real heart for the city and actually seeing churches planted in those cities. So it led me to a point that my wife and I, we decided that we wanted to pursue church planting. So that was the heart. We wanted to plant a church. Um, And a long story short, um, we ended up exploring that. But whilst exploring that, I ended up being approached by an elder from um, a small Brethren Assembly, Brethren Chapel, in the, in the community where we were, we were living, um, and just said, could they meet? So I ended up meeting with four men who were all older than me. Um, three of them would have been pensioners, and one of the guys was eighty nine at the time. And they just said, Stephen, we are at the point of closure. We love Jesus. We want to see people get saved. If you came here, what would you do? And then the the sort of conversations began from that point. So, how many people were in the church at that time? In that chat, I think there was there was fifteen to twenty people that would gather on a Sunday. Probably the core would be about twelve. Um, so there are fifteen to twenty. And the interesting thing about Ramley's Road Chapel, as it was, that in the like the fifties and the sixties, this was like a thriving church. This was a church that if you came to the city as a student, you would land there. Um, they had a children's ministry where they, they had, to, had to rent a local school just to have the children's Sunday school ministry that was going on. But a number of churches were planted in the 80s, so families left. Issues of people not walk, not being willing to move away from preferences. And as a result, the church, they just started declining number, declining different issues. And, you know, there were some theological things in there, I think, which were significant to the decline of the church. So come 2009, they were that desperate, Tony, they asked me to go and be the pastor. <laughs> but there was about 15 to 20 people, I would say, that on a, on a Sunday. Um, and they'd gather for a prayer meeting on a Wednesday, there'd be about six or seven people. Uh-huh. So, so you said yes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what was, how long ago was that, and what were what were the early days like? Okay, so that would have been, I was approached. I think it was April two thousand and nine, and I knew within about fifteen minutes that it was the right thing to go and work with these guys, and and I just knew because when when you speak to older gentlemen who who have been faithful in seeking to serve the gospel and are. are 
that are at a point where they are desperate to see people come to know Jesus and for his name to be made famous in their community and through the, the, the church that they are part of. I just, I just knew. And it was a punt. Um, it was a punt, but I just knew that it was the right thing to do. And so I gathered a small team of people of 15, 15 people uh, from a couple of other churches in Liverpool and in November, in fact, nine years ago today, today we um, we started a process of working alongside the current eldership and the people there to see if we could replant uh, the church and see where where we're going. I think what was interesting for me, the other thing that really triggered, I didn't have a clue what to say to them when they asked me, "What would you do if you came here, Steve?" I, because I had no grid for replanting a church, or I had ideas of how to plant a church. You know, we we we'd read all the books. We were we had a philosophy of ministry all lined up of where we wanted to go, and um, so I just shared that with them. I just shared, "Look, guys, I haven't thought this." I shared that with them, and a big key thing for me, and I think this has been an issue in in, in our city for a number of years, is that there was a leadership deficit in terms of investment into younger men. You know, um, I'm still one of the youngest pastors in our city, and I'm forty, um, so there was a real deficit. Of, of training and um, developing uh, just leaders, not only men, but also ladies in terms of their gifting to, to, to do that. So I shared about just this heart to really develop and invest and the heart to plant more churches across Merseyside. And they all began to cry. Um, so I just knew straight away that, that this was the right thing to engage with. So that, that actually shaped for us very much the trajectory and the vision of where we were going to go. And I was able to call those guys back to those conversations, um, you know, at times of difficulty and, and, and potential conflict as we sort to work alongside the folks that, that, that were at the church. So what were some of the early challenges um, as, you, as you got started there? I think the challenges. I was I was thirty at the time, thirty one, and so I was keen, was ready to go. I was like a coiled spring, um, and I think I'd gone from a mindset of we're going to do this to actually step into actually, I required more patience to walk with people, and that's where I see God's faithfulness in the fact that for six years I'd worked alongside elderly people anyway, um, who were really passionate regarding of where, where they're at. I think that the, the major challenges was bringing two groups of people together. So yeah, my team was younger, so 20s and early 30s. And then you had a group of people who were, who were older and more mature, more mature. So the average age was probably like late 60s in, into the 70s. And just bringing those folks together was, was a challenge because what's interesting is I think you, we fall into the trap of thinking, well, the young people are going to have all the answers. And I, and I think the young people think that, the younger people and the people coming think that, but also the older people think if we just have young people, everything's going to be okay. So it's this like issue where they, they, they believe that the, 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 the silver bullet is just a young person or a couple of kids or, 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 or whatever. So, uh, so the challenge was actually to say that actually both the older folks had preferences that needed to be addressed and worked through and also did we as younger people because we thought we had all the answers which were often just our own preferences so just trying to bring that together was it was a challenge effectively it was it was taking two groups of people and I worked with them both for a few months separate before we merged and then you're starting like a core team to replant the church we had this old and new sort of language for a little bit which was unhelpful um, people would say, and we had to we had to kill that a little bit. But I think one of the challenges of replanting is that you're working with people who have been very, very faithful. Sometimes faithful to the wrong thing, but they've been faithful to something. And it's 
and they've poured their life into this. And I think a challenge of sitting down with folks and actually trying to bring people back to the truth of the gospel. And actually, what is that? What's the culture that is to be created in light of that? In in the context of the culture that we are currently in. And it's really difficult. I think Ramley's Road, you could have got in a time machine in 2009, back 30 years, 40 years, and it would have been exactly the same. And a lot of the people would have been the same, but just much younger. So just trying to walk through those challenges was really difficult. The way we went about it was that I just thought we've got to get right back to the gospel, which seems really simple, but 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 we had to because everybody comes with preference. And where we jump in is that we want to create our systems and structures or constructs like children's ministry and and young people's ministry and a lot of the the, the folks from Ramleys just thought we're going to come and we'll instantly start a kids work a kids ministry to invite kids in now the demographic around that area is students now it's not children whereas 40 years ago it was working class Liverpool families with lots of kids so it just didn't make sense so it was saying okay let's start with the gospel okay what are our convictions and the truth of the gospel what what is it that we've been called to what, what, what is God doing in and through us because of the gospel? And then we move from the gospel to, okay, what does it mean to be the church? What does that look like? And then looking at the culture that we're in, say, okay, wh- how do we want to live? So what we did was we there were 15 people that came, joined with the other 15 people. And part of that was three of us, myself and two other guys from the, the new team, went on the eldership with the current four elders so we had the largest eldership for the smallest church you've ever seen so there were seven <laughs> of us for 20 20 something people um and um but we worked with them and with their wives and created basically a gospel community and just literally worked on worked on what was the gospel what 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 is the church what is the mission that we've been called to what is what is our culture that we're in and some of the questions that, that that came about were that we realized that as a church, we hadn't been or they, they, they hadn't been answering the questions of the culture. And there was just this assumption that if we just pray hard enough, people are just going to come in when those days of people walking into churches and sending their kids to things had, had gone long ago. So actually trying to say, okay, we want to be truthful to the gospel. We don't want to change the gospel, but at the same time, we want to be engaging in the right way and answering the right questions and showing that the gospel is relevant. And that was like mind blowing for some people. And can I say this, not only the folks that were in the church originally, but also the younger people who were coming because they were part of a large church with lots of activity. And when you're down to like, there's 20 of us and Jesus has given us the responsibility to share the gospel in these streets. Um, that's that's a massive, you know, that, that just scares people. It scares them because it requires me to step out and, and and be less comfortable than what I'm used to. So lots of challenges along those, but by God's grace, we formed a gospel community. And then from that gospel community, we were able to split into six gospel communities. And you had an elder from the new team along with the existing church. And then we invited people into gathering in the week. We stopped the prayer meeting as was because it, it was a prayer meeting where about seven people turned up and the, the, the ladies weren't allowed to pray. And um, so, yeah, it was some interesting theology and, you know, different preferences and secondary issues and primary issues we had to wrestle through. Um, but I was that was really good. That was helpful for me <laughs> as well. Wow, bro. Yeah, that's got to be a sanctifying journey. Yeah. Uh, did those did those elders stay? Did those people stay from the yeah. original church? So initially, we had three people leave, uh, but those three people actually, and I don't want to speak out of turn regarding them, but I, um, 
but specifically one of those 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 people were were actually causing a lot of the problems in the church and hindering a lot of movement um, uh, and decision making process because they've been there for so long, and that's that's a challenge when you're 31 and you. A, a lady that's been at the church for 70 odd years and her husband was one of the founding members is not happy and she decides to leave that, that that's just hard and trying to take people with you regarding that so we so three people left initially but by god's grace two of the original elders are still elders in our church which is wonderful that's um, fantastic uh, one another elder stepped down because of uh, because of age, but he is still a member of, of our church, and uh, and one of the guys died two years ago at ninety six, um, and, and is with Jesus. And he, he Tony, he said to me, he said I was in the hospital with him several times in his last couple of weeks, and we were singing hymns and we were we were praying together. And he said to me, Steve, the last seven years have been the most fruitful seven years of my life. Now. Ron Martin, his name was. Nobody, nobody will ever write about Ron. Nobody will ever know about Ron. But Ron was a guy who who actually closed the door on a church many years ago. He was the last elder. And then he thought that it was going to happen again. And by God's, he's seen people get baptized and spontaneously. He's seen a, a church planted from the church. And it was just wonderful. And he said, my only regret is that my wife wasn't alive to see it happen. And it was just just amazing and you know there are challenges when you want to walk with faithful people that are that have poured their lives into things and sometimes and it happens to us all we get caught up in the preference and the comfort of just doing the same thing but by god's grace in our story we've seen so much life released in people who thought they were finished with ministry and one of our other elders is 74 years of age and and just to see just his growth and in Jesus and his maturity and and walking as a seventy four year old man in the right sense and and not tapping out, just keep it. Keep, you're just going, but but living as a seventy four year old man because people like me who's forty, I need him to be seventy four. I don't need him to be seventy four trying to be twenty five. I think the whole re- replanting process just released people again in in later life in ways which it, which I just don't. F- think happen outside of that in the same way i think we live in a culture where older people are disregarded and sadly i see it sometimes in the church and 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 by god's grace i am thankful personally that we didn't plant and we replanted because god gave me just a number of godly older people who who are prayer warriors that know their bibles that that love jesus just needed help needed energy needed a bit of clarity needed help in our culture and they they, they're still with us and they they're they're the first to, to say i thought we were about church planting i thought we were about this you know and asking the questions which is just it's just it's phenomenal to, to see and actually see this titus 2 ministry happening just in the everyday of life rather than it being a course or something that people sign up to it just happens and i'm thankful that you know we started our church off with 15 people who are much older who had walked many miles of sorrow and many miles of joy and the, these folks have like lost kids these folks have got older children that don't follow Jesus and have the pain of that. These folks have struggled with depression. These folks thought that their church was going to close and it hasn't anymore. And they don't want to go back there again and and, 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 and want to finish their days, you know, running for that prize for the cause of Christ. And I, I'm just, I look, I look around Cornerstone Church now and I see so many older folks and we're very diverse in age and, and even culture now, which, which is thankful but I look at the older folks in our church and I look at them and I'm like I, I want to be like them 
I want to be like that. It's just, it's wonderful. It's such a beautiful story, man. But I, I love it on, on so many levels. It's you, you, you see and hear the benefit of both uh, the older people getting renewed vision and and passion and mm. uh, having value ascribed uh, to them uh, mm. as we ought to ascribe it, uh, and then uh, younger folks as well. Uh, you know, uh, having this multi generational uh, experience and. Um, enjoying all the all the benefits of that we, you know we haven't we haven't um, done enough podcasts on on replanting and uh, revitalization and uh, we need to continue to raise the profile of it and which is why you're on here man and uh, I, I absolutely love this story and then you guys have then planted uh, out of this replant right a couple of churches yeah a couple of churches yeah um so I think what was wonderful that and I think this is so right and actually I talk about this all the time that we want to be a uh, you know a global family of church diverse global of global family of churches that are planting churches and and I remember sitting with the guys we had a couple of meetings the first one was about an hour that and then they just developed and the whole issue of church planting um came up on the agenda and you could just I could just tell that it was a pipe dream it felt like a pipe dream but be able but Every single one of them, those men, even Ron, that's now gone to be with Jesus, was saw the first church plant that happened, and I think because there was this real philosophy of ministry that was around, you know, I use a Steve Timmers quote: "Live an everyday life with gospel intentionality in the context of community, and really working hard to invest in 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 people in their leadership, and specifically men to grow into elders." Because we hit that early, we were able to to just create that sense of culture of planting gospel communities. I was a um, approached by a young man actually who just saw this from afar and, and just said look I, I, I'd love to just walk with you guys and learn I live in an area of Merseyside called the Wirral um, and I'd love to see a church planted there and he just came and walked with us and as a church we invested in him and in 2013 we sent him out with five people so it was like it wasn't that we sent a church we sent like a little group a car a car load of people <laughs> to, <laughs> to plant a church and by God's grace now um Cornerstone Church Wirral is, you know, they're probably meeting about 120 every week. They were given a building from another Brethren Church that was closing, and we explored replanting with them. But what was best there was for them to close and hand us the keys, which they did. And that that has been a wonder, that's been wonderful for 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 the church as a whole, and just for the region as well. By God's grace, we have 1.3 million people. Less than one percent would attend a gospel-centered church. So the need for church planting is very, very much. And I think because we've seen that, um, and we've seen it again last year, and we were able to send out another team of people that was formed from a gospel community. It's it's very much part of our gospel DNA to, to plant more churches. Um, and we do it with not much money. We do it with little resources, but guys are willing to work bivocationally. People are willing to pour in, and people are getting saved, which is wonderful. Mm. So... Uh, last question here. We're kind of at the end of the the church planting replanting journey. Uh, you said nine years ago today, which is uh, pretty cool. We're we're talking about this today. Uh, so the latest now, uh, one of the latest uh, happenings is uh, you've got a building opportunity, right? Yeah. So the building that we're currently in, the Cornerstone Church Liverpool, is um, it holds seventy five to eighty people comfortably. And we're probably about 250 on a Sunday across two services. The children are everywhere. They're like, um, <laughs> wherever there's a, wherever there's space, there's a kids ministry going on. It's a, it's absolutely 
bonkers. It's a carnage. And if you're a Christian and you arrive, it's like wonderful. People are sitting on the floor and the like. But as a non-believer in our context, if you walk into that, you don't want to stay. And it's been like that. And what's interesting about us, we, we, we've got a real heart to reach, reach our region. But 85% of the people who attend our church live within a 10-minute walk of the building, the community. So it's not, and that's very much a Liverpool culture that people don't tend to travel away from their areas and we want to reach people from our city. Um, so it's so important for us to stay within within the community and we've pushed lots of doors. And then sadly, a Baptist church closed a few months ago and their building came up for sale. And we're in the process of, we put an offer in for that. What was interesting is two weeks ago today, we were told we had two weeks to get our offer in and we had to prove that we could pay for it. And we had to give intentions of what it was be. We had no money. And by God's grace, we raised, we raised one hundred and forty-five thousand in eight eight days, and just just like God's people graciously given, but also just like the wider church family, specifically Acts twenty-nine. I just, we just put it on Twitter and Facebook, and people just responded and pledged, and and it's been it's been phenomenal. And even if we don't get the building, that has just been so encouraging for us and our people that God is saying, "Look, I've I've got this, I've got this," and you know, I'll just give you even if you're not going to get this building, I'll just give you a taste of what I can do. Yeah, you know? and it, and it's just been. <laughs> It's just been marvelous to 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 see that. So, you know, please pray for us. You know, I don't know when this is going out, Tony. So we may have the building, we may not have the building. Either way, we need to do that building up. And if we don't get the building, we're going to find somewhere. Need to find somewhere else. Um, yeah, yeah. What's interesting is some of the conversations we've had regarding the building, especially with the folks who were originally at the church. Oh, I thought we were about church planting, not buildings. <laughs> <laughs> which is great to have that conversation because it's like okay that's a wonderful trajectory and a wonderful vision that people have got but we still need space to reach more people because people are still coming to us so so that's if people could pray for that it would be amazing absolutely and let that be an encouragement to you if you're listening out there um man thanks steve uh thanks for being on the podcast love hearing the journey i, I pray that this would encourage uh guys uh to consider um uh, replanting, revitalization, and uh, just to uh, you know, be sensitive to where the Lord has you and and what kind of doors are opening up. Um, man, you just radiate a contagious Christian joy, and I could see why people would would be drawn to you, man. And uh, you uh, you always encourage me and bless me when when we're together. And uh, wish we had to, we could spend more time together. Um, yeah. But um, we're praying for you, praying for this new season. Thank and, you, man. Uh, pray the Lord's hand will continue to be on you. Thank you, man. Thank you for all you do. Appreciate the podcast. All people are really encouraged by it. So thanks, bro. Appreciate it. You got it, brother. Thanks for your time. Man.